like family with Brenda Donahue. Welcome to this edition of Like Family, where we'll be meeting Alex. <laughs> what joy! Ah, yeah, I know. It's his happy time, isn't it, love? Yeah. He's just really giddy and happy. <laughs> That's Mam Bernie and Dad Dermot, and they've just moved to their first home in Rathalton County Mead. <laughs> this is a precious family moment because... Tomorrow morning, like hundreds of other parents in the town, Bernie and Dermot will get into their cars, drop Alex off at the Minders and travel the narrow country roads to the M50 and then on to work. Traffic is heavy this morning from Junction 6 Blattertown through to Junction 12 Fairhouse, but no major problems for northbound traffic so far. I'd like to know how these families juggle it all and why. Are these new commuter towns good places for families to live? And you can join the conversation on Twitter at Brenda Donoghue or email brenda at rte.ie. So let's start at the beginning. I began by asking Bernie and Dermot, who are not from the area and who both work in Dublin, why did they decide to move to Rathout? We never really went out and picked Rathout. We never said, oh yeah, this is where we want to be. We kind of, we looked at a few places in Minute and we looked at a few places, you know, here, there and... And everywhere, but... Um, well, to be fair, a reason for not staying in Dublin really came down to price. Or money. You know, yeah, um, yeah, and couldn't. schools as well, you know, because I think when you're from the country, you like to think that, you know, your child is going to go to a country school, even though Rath House is... <laughs> yeah, you agree, love. Yeah. <laughs> so we heard, like, we knew that the school in Rath House was really good, has really good reputation, and, um, you know, so that was a huge part of our decision as well, to be yeah. fair. When we first came up, we were looking at a different house in town. Um, but the price of it had gone through the roof. But the house was gorgeous. So when we came up here and looked at the place, Bernie was like, yeah, look, it's nice. All right, we'll go in and give a look at it. Like, it's narrow at the front. You don't think much of it at the front. But by the time you get into the back and you see the back garden and you see the big sitting room that's there and everything, like, both of us just kind of went, ooh, this is nice, yeah. And the massive green out the front as well for, like kids playing and everything like that it's yeah. so safe and it's so everything it's brilliant so even though I loved the other house kind of reality was telling me that it wasn't going to happen you know and then I came in here and I just fell in love with the garden I just thought you know what it's perfect for him and even though he was only in my belly at the time yeah. <laughs> but um so yeah it was really the garden and uh the green outside you know it's safe it's not on the road or anything so there was loads of good selling points to it mm-hmm. Yeah, I like, I mean, outside of the house I grew up in, this is home to me now. Okay. And to be fair, the neighbours have just been brilliant. Yeah. Like they're everyone here is like it's they're they're all so nice. It, it's a real great sense of community that's around the place. And sometimes there's a very impersonal element in the city. Whereas when you come out to a community like this, do you know someone will always have a bit of banter with you, or someone will always have a bit of something with you around the place, which really kind of makes it feel like a proper community or a proper home or a proper something, do you know? Yeah. It's a little bit more personal. Professor Mary Corcoran is a sociologist from NUI Maynooth and has noticed changes in Rathoth over the past 15 years. We go for a drive around the town. Uh, one thing I remember, there was a tiny little village post office and now it's a um, much more upmarket um sort of modern building that's the post office which is facing us now and it's part of a whole spread of local shops along the main thoroughfare. The other nice thing is that the town was bookended by two pubs back in the um, 10, 15 years ago and they're still there and they're still in business which is great. And this was a little road that people used to have to come up to the town and there wasn't a footpath back then but there is now. but you can see as well the trucks and the trailers and that was a big issue for people that the the village itself was you know being used as a rat run by people trying to avoid the tolls on the N3 and that was the thing that struck me this morning that it is still slightly choked with traffic you have you know juggernauts coming through does it feel like a bit of a maze well uh, definitely like I'm coming out this road now and there are new buildings going up and from as far as your eye can see there's quite a lot of apartments and uh, buildings and we can see also there is land for sale 1.9 acres prime development site so I mean I think 
probably there's been a period of abeyance, but I imagine that there will be a little bit more um, building done here. Uh, and even now looking in front of us, uh, it's 12 o'clock and there's quite a line of traffic. Yeah, it's probably the preschoolers are finished. Yeah, are finishing yeah. up and people are going to collect them. Okay, this is nice because you can see immediately there's a lot of greenery and there's a nice walkway along by the local, the river, which are things that are very important to people. Having access to nature, being close to nature, being able to um, connect in with nature. I think I missed the turn. So. <laughs> the community centre is home to a cafe, theatre, creche and meeting rooms. In a quiet corner, I asked Mary to explain something to me. Why have Irish families chosen to move out of the cities to the commuter belt rather than stay in the city centre? Even in cities that put a lot of energy into building family-friendly apartments and so on in their city centres often find that people want to move out. And I think there's very clear reasons for that. In the Irish context, I think we have a love affair with pastoralism, with the idea of open green spaces, access, ready access to the countryside. And people also bring with them a memory of their own upbringing. Because we have to remember that in Ireland, and particularly in a city like Dublin, most of us are only one or two generations removed from the countryside. So if you like, people bring with them through life a legacy issue about the kind of childhood that they had. So when we researched um, people at the turn of the 21st century, the early 2000s, we researched people's desires to move to suburbia. It was very often connected with wanting to have more space, access to the countryside, a quieter pace of life, a more friendly pace of life, a more community-oriented ethos. So those are the things that drew people out of the city and in fact they even drew them out of the inner suburbs so I think that because people associate rural life and pastoral life with you know the values of old courtesy decency you know not being crime ridden and therefore it's a better place to raise children I mean particularly I remember in relation to Ratoth people loved the idea of their children going to a small country school rather than something a little bit more anonymous you know a bigger urban school where maybe their kids would be kind of lost in the morass whereas they liked that sort of country feel of perhaps knowing the school teacher quite well or seeing the school teacher passing on the street and so on. So it's that sense of intimacy, of connectedness to others, of, you know, a social network that's very locally based that is attractive to people. Mary, the contradiction with wanting the small school, that lovely idyllic village image that people had when they moved out to suburbia, is that the population increases. So they don't get what they want or do they? Well, I think in the short term, people find out that it doesn't always live up to their expectations. So, for example, we talked to 12-year-old children back in the early 2000s and they were becoming aware of the impact of unfettered development because they were telling us, you know, that the green spaces, the woods, the fields that they played in were disappearing as more and more land was rezoned for development. So they could actually see the dream disappearing before their eyes as 12-year-old children. Okay, next I met B. Flanagan. She's originally from Dublin, but she's been living the dream in Rathholt for the last 10 years. Just getting a handle on this. Are you telling me you actually put a deposit down in a house without actually walking through it, seeing it, getting a feel for it? I didn't even know where it was located. <laughs> You've got to think back as well, though. 10 years ago, houses were flying out, you know. You were lucky if there was a number available for you. So we're just here now, Brenda. So you see where it is and look what's in front of me. This massive open green area. It was just so random and so meant to be. As, as, you know, I do think Faith had a huge part to play. So um, would you like to come inside and have yeah, a look? I'd love to, yeah, no okay. problem. Okay, thank All you. All right, I'll just hop out. Bee's house is gorgeous, but a family needs to live in a community. So does Bee find herself isolated in her beautiful house or is she connected to her neighbours? Personally, it's a huge connection within the community, the support that's here for us. I know that in any moment, if I need anything or anybody to help, I know I have a huge amount of people I can call on. People that I might not have called on before, but I know I could call on them. I mean, we had for at one year here, we the year of the big snow, my heat went on the Saturday and... Um, I didn't realise, I thought it might have just had a little bit of a flip for a day or two, but we ended up being without heat until February. Now, when I got a quote for the boiler to be replaced, it was something like three and a half thousand. And at that time, I have to tell you, 
I did not have it. So I just had to sit on it and say, what can we do? Now, luckily, we have a coal fire and we got very cosy. But I'd often open the door and there'd be a bag of coal there for me. There'd be a, a, a bag of sticks and a little note saying, stay warm, B. And it'd be just somebody who'd been out shopping, who'd know what we were going through and just decided to drop that back in for us. Now, they would have been times when it was really tough. I mean, financially struggling. Everything was a struggle. But... They were just times when we had to show real appreciation and gratitude for having a roof over our head and having that support of people around. So it's sometimes I feel like this was where I was meant to live. It was like I had to go through 30 years somewhere else before I moved here. And then whether it's driving up Ferry House Road or coming over from Ashburn, when I drive back into Rathout, I just get this sense of I'm home. And I think that that's priceless that's a feeling mm. that you can't actually buy that's yeah. just priceless people living in new housing estates around Rathoth have no shared history so I didn't expect to hear about old-fashioned good neighbourliness now will you have some soup first meet Anton Jean Murray now they moved from Cabra and for them the decision was a difficult one but the stakes were high because they wanted to save their marriage it took us about I think it was about a year and a half then that I finally started to sell, believe it or not. Because initially it was the holiday period. You're in a lovely holiday home because it was like a holiday house compared to our little house in Cabra, you know. So as soon as the holiday was wearing off, I wanted to go home, you know, to me family and friends. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we did have another reason to to move as well. Like we were really, you know, we met so young. We had Anthony when I was very young and our marriage was struggling. So we thought if we moved outside the city, we'd give our marriage a bit of a chance also by just having more time for each other. But in the end, all we were doing, then for six months, all we were doing was arguing because we were blaming each other. Uh, on it was your fault. You wanted to do it. It's your fault. You know, and this was going on. But I was trying to do everything to stay in the city because I had met an old woman on a plane once and she said, don't move outside the city. It happened to New York in the... 50s and 60s and everybody tried to move back in because they spent half their lives in their car and it always stuck in my head so in the end I had to give in because I couldn't listen to her anymore to be honest (laughs) my fault and I had a great roof and business during the boom but with the downturn work completely dried up overnight and money became very, very tight Uh, the only way I could really mind money was on the groceries and you know I'd go into Dunn's and just where I'd shopping and or anywhere else, Aldi and wherever for whatever was on sale um, and buy the cheapest amount, you know, the cheapest food that I could possibly buy to feed my family. And I remember one time in going to Moore Street, actually, and because uh, it was cheaper again for vegetables in there and buying, uh, you know, going to Moore Street, checking out the cheapest vegetables there, fruit and whatever, and doing it that way. I tried every way that was I could feed my family, but you were talking about very little money at the time, you know. People wouldn't be, imagine that all of a sudden you've, you had so much and then all of a sudden you were going to the grocery store and spending so little on food. So it was tough and I didn't want to complain to, to Anto at all, you know. Um, so when he'd come in with his losses, I would say, well, listen, sure, we're okay today. You know, aren't we okay today? Look what we have, you know. Um, Looking back at, the, at what happened, it was so immediate that you were going from the high to the low. You hadn't really got time to analyse what was going on. You had to take each day as a hitcher. And then Jean looked after the home. You know, half the stuff I didn't know till she said it just there. Um, you got on with it. You grew up in the day and dealt in the day. You had to walk in the day. As you're talking to me, it sounds like you were very united in your own way, facing these struggles. But were you? I mean, it must have been challenging to both of you as a couple. No, I'd, I'd say money, no. money was a big issue. So I'd say the blame game was there. You wanted that place there and you wanted this. And why didn't we let that house go when we were moving out here? And simple things like that caused big problems and, and continued for a long time. And I think we eventually got to the stage that we said, do you know what? You know, there's nothing we can do about it. You know, there's nothing we can do about it. Um, we would have, we should have been apart. We should have separated. We should have divorced. We were having some terrible times. But when you're going through problems, you forget love. You to forget why you love them. You're like, Shaney Mac, what did I ever see? <laughs> and he said the same about me, so... <laughs> Yeah, I think, yeah, at, at that stage and pressure when, when arguments are continuing and, and there's that amount of pressure. But, but what you only re- think about now is I loaded it on myself. I done it to myself. Nobody done it to me. 
So as much as I, you know, you can say the banks and recession and all the other elements, I could have avoided it. I didn't need it. It wasn't stuff that we needed. It was stuff that we wanted that caused our problems. In Rathout here, you were going through mm-hmm. a, a very difficult time. Did you find you could talk to your neighbours about it or friends that you've made here? And if so, did you get much comfort from them? Absolutely. It was like a, a unity. Everybody was the same. You know, one of the things that stick for me was, you know, I was flying in and out in the van, doing my bit of roofing here and there. And I'd see all the men walking down with the kids to school and their heads down. And you'd be talking to them and, and people, they were down. Like there was a whole down community where men's pride <clears throat> of being the earner for the home was taken away. So there was huge pride issues. And then I'm sure they had the same issues as us in the house then. You know, we couldn't do anything about the recession, but our prides were destroyed. And Anto, through all of the recession, is there anything positive can be taken from it? I think family family values came back in in a big way because... People were so busy <clears throat> with their new car, their two holidays a year, all the elements. So they had to work all the hours to, to cover all these wants. That the whole family thing kind of fell apart. And the pubs, you know, the conversation in the pub was, house in Spain, house in Florida, house. And we have that value back. You know, there's, there's a laugh and a joke and a slag and Mick and the kids. I think that we got a bit, a bit more values back through the recession a horrible experience of having to learn that value this way but I definitely think that the value that we have in the family now is much stronger than we had during the boom we found out what's important in our lives you know it's our relationship it's our children it's our friends it's our family and that's the basis of our happiness I actually didn't expect people to talk about family being so important in these new neighbourhoods But this comes as no surprise to sociologist Professor Mary Corcoran. I think we have to be really aware that one of the reasons why Ireland always comes out in the top category for international studies of happiness um, and well-being and the best place to live, we always come out close to the top. And one of the reasons is the resilience of family and the continuing attachment to family in Irish life. And we did find in our study that although many people had moved away from family of origin, they were all deeply involved in family networks. So all of the kids when we talked to them were able to talk about, okay, you know, when was the last occasion your family got together? They all had stories, you know, the Holy Communion, my auntie's birthday, my granddad's funeral, you know, whatever it was, that they all were very much weaved into a sense of what an extended family is. And there were occasions and rituals when people got together. So, you know, obviously people had to travel. Maybe the grandparents had to come out to Ratote or Ratoters had to go somewhere else. But we did find that family was extremely important to people as a base part of their social network. And family is very important to Jean and Anto. Two of Jean's sisters, Christine and Sharon, They've actually moved to Rathoth as well. You know, you're grand, you're out there and you're in your new house and all is wonderful. But you do like miss home. So you like to bring the bit of home with you. We do meet up on a weekly basis. We have the laugh and tend to go to Christine's on the Friday night, curry in a few beers. Was part of the attraction that your sisters were here? When they moved, that was a big loss. We decided maybe take a chance and move out to Rathoth and see how it goes. And how does it work then having each other not too far away? Well, I used to, when I had Isabella, Jane had Yasmin first and then I went on to have Isabella. So we used to always come over for play dates. And then I went back to work for two days a week and Jane took my two kids. So she used to be walking around the village with a double buggy, three dogs and Finn <laughs> in the lashings of rain. And Sharon. <laughs> we were two dogs. So then I used to leave the kids there for, you know, two days a week and she used to mind them, feed them, look at them. Actually, and this is funny, um, when we were kids, you would have cooked for the younger kids, you know. So we always knew how to make a big pot of potatoes, a big pot of vegetables and a big pot of mince. So that was your basic thing that you knew how to do. So when I actually moved in first with my own husband to make a dinner, to do a small dinner, was really very strange. So when we got back to our usual flow of living beside the sisters up here and with all our kids now, we all make big pucks of dinner. 
I might ring Sharon and say, listen, I have a couple of plates to dinner here now. Does anybody want it in yours? And likewise with Sharon. Or if I'm running late or if I'm stuck, I'll ring Christine and say, have you any dinners there? And I said for mine, you know, because I haven't cooked anything today. <laughs> so it's really one of the best things about having sisters. Now, I'm very good neighbours and you could probably say the same to your neighbours, but you wouldn't feel the same comfortability. They're the good things. Mm-hmm. Are there any negatives? <laughs> there was a few negatives, wasn't there? There was a few bangers. <laughs> but we are sisters, right? So we do fight and squabble a lot and fall out. And uh, But we're very close. You know what? This isn't the picture that I actually expected. Real neighbourliness and strong family ties. Aren't these new towns not meant to be soulless, anonymous places? Mary Corkin has been thinking about why that picture of isolation is not the full story. A number of years ago, um, a very eminent American sociologist, Robert Putnam, wrote a book, famous bestseller called Bowling Alone. It was about the decline of community, as he thought, in America. And he believed that people were no longer going bowling together as friends and neighbours, but they were going alone. So it was really a thesis about the individualisation of society. And I think, you know... That may be a theory that can be tested in the American context, but I think we're still a long way from that in Ireland. And one of the reasons is because we have a volunteer organisation like the GAA, which incorporates people, children from the very youngest ages, right up through their teenage years and into early adulthood. It incorporates male and female players, girls and boys, husbands, Fathers, grandfathers, mothers, grandmothers become mentors, become coaches, undergo training for that, produce sandwiches, tea, uh, run strictly ballroom fundraising, as you well know, Brenda. And basically it engages people across generation and across gender and across social class in communities like Ratote. And that is an amazing facility that I think we really probably don't recognise. It's almost, it's, it's part of the background tapestry of everyday life in Ireland. But that is hugely significant, I believe, in maintaining a kind of a social capital, a social glue in communities like Ratote. It was really powerful how significant that was to people. If you're in Ratote any Saturday, you'll see the community in full swing. I called to the GA club and I fell into conversation with Tom Roddy. We've got five pitches. We've an all-weather pitch. A uh, hive of activity there this morning, as you can see, yeah. with all the teams out. And So we've a rich mixture of football and hurling down here. It's amazing. It's great. And um, we've got uh, we've about 50 teams in total. I'd say this club was very different about 15 years ago. Yeah, the expansion in our tote has been amazing. So you're looking at a situation where you had about 700 through the 80s to a situation now where in the census in 2011, you're looking at about 9,500 people. I think that's up to around 10 plus now. So... Um, Great minds came together in around 94, 95 down in this club and decided that we need to expand to keep up with the times. So there was some fantastic work was done by the old school down here in Ratote uh, to, 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 to give us this fantastic facility that we have that now caters for uh, 1,200 members and nearly 60 teams down here, you know. Tell me a little bit about yourself. You're a job. When did you come down here to Ratote? Um, well, I came to Ratote in 2006. You know, I suppose the GAA club was probably one of the easiest ways for me to get involved in the community. So I would have got involved through my children initially. And then if you stand around long enough, you normally get a job is the way things go. Um, so that's what happened to me. But uh, I've enjoyed it immensely. I've, I've, I've you know, I've, I've got some life friends from it and continue to enjoy it uh, as my kids grow older and move through the ranks and the teams. Um, it's just a brilliant thing to be involved in, you know. As a dub with the blue blood running through the veins, you know, uh, coming into Meads, you know, uh, I never felt I'd feel so at home in a place. But for me, we're told this home now and I, I, uh, I do love it, you know. God, we'll have you wearing a Mead jersey next. Well, we won't go that far, Brenda. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, Robert. Lads, help him. The Rathota underrates are playing the Ballymun Kickhams. A good finish. Well done. Good stuff. At the final whistle, I asked them, did they win? Yeah! Obviously. We hammered Ballymun. Um, our team beat them, boy. Our team won all three games. Wow. You're very good. Tell me, what things do you like to do living in Rathota? Um, play play hurling um, on my green because I've got a big, huge green in my estate. There's nice places to go. 
like? The soccer pitch, um, this GAA, and um, school. You like school? Yeah. Well, I like the way this big GAA. There's a good community and everybody's quite friendly. I love that there are so much things on that of hobbies and what I do is athletics, Irish dancing and um, there's different other things uh, that there's karate and stuff and uh, there's, we have a community centre and it has lots and lots of stuff going on there. Are your friends very important to you? Yes, because they do the same things as me and I have so much fun with them uh, while I'm doing it and um, it's not really nice to have friends not just being inside all the time, lonely and stuff. So it's really nice going outside playing with them in the fresh air. <laughs> the GA Club rent their dressing rooms to the local men's sheds group and they've transformed them into a workshop. Mick Flinter told me how they got started. Brenda, we went to, uh, to see how men's sheds were going and how they worked. We went to Minolte Men's Shed, which is a huge concern down in Minolte. And one man got up to speak, and what he said was, it gave him a feeling that he was needed to do something. And to me, it's something like that. Not maybe as much like, but it gives you an outlook that on Tuesday morning, you have to be at the men's shed at 11 o'clock to make the tea and hand out the biscuits. <laughs> yeah. So a feeling of belonging. Yes, yeah, yes, yes. Yeah. You get a feeling of belonging. And you know, you would know men, you would know men a long time. But it's only when they sit down around the table and start talking, all these different things come out. Like? I, I never knew. You know, I never knew that. I never knew that. Like every man in the men's shed now is, I, myself I'd say I'm the youngest, yeah. but there's a man behind you there, like he's 82 years of age and he put up a lot of plasterboard and the man of Salpin was 85 years of age, so <laughs> no stopping them then. <laughs> Just wondering if you're free, will you come to my house and do a bit of work? <laughs> What's your name, sir? My name is Jimmy Barker. And, and, and are you from Rathout? I am, yeah, born in Rathout. So you're one of the few non-blow-ins, should I'm we one, say? Yeah, yeah. The, the, the only local. I'm yeah. only in the, in the local in the man's shed. The rest are all blow-ins. <laughs> Is that still a thing? Uh, so, no, 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 no. Am I correct in thinking... That making the planters here for Tidy's Towns is great, but it's really the chat and the banter yes, that is, is the important thing important and the camaraderie. Yeah, and, yeah. and getting to know people. Yeah. Getting to know people we would never have met. Mm. Because this is a new community. Uh, obviously, the population of the in about 20 years have gone from 1,000 to about 12,000. Mm. So we let a new people in. And there's a good mix. And it's good for you know people settling in from, that have come from outside, you know. Well, I'm, I'm 15 years in Rathoth, and I didn't know one of these men before I came, joined in December of last year. Now I know, what, 15 to 20 men in the area that I had never known before. So from that point of view, it's a great organisation. John only lived about 100 yards away from me, and he only used to say hello to him. I didn't know who he was. And he, now? Now I know him as a friend, now with John, yeah. That's really no, nice, yeah. yeah. Cheers. Um, Cheers, yes, absolutely. Now, if you take the Curraha Road, you see the local allotments that are there on your left as you leave the town. Patricia Kettle has been studying allotments in Ireland and all across Europe. So, Brenda, a lot of things happen when you walk through the gate of an allotment. You know, it means a lot of different things for people. But one of the most striking things is that everybody is an equal in that space. So people don't ever refer to each other in terms of what they do for a living, you know, their status, their occupation, how much money they have, all those type of things that are really are very important outside the gate. But when you come in, you park all that at the point of entry. So when you come in, everyone's an equal. They share their time, their knowledge. So there's a general willingness to participate, interact, engage with other people, engage in reciprocal relationships, and that's really, really important. And it's not just reciprocal in terms of giving to the land and what the land gives back to you, but it's about this reciprocity between people. It's about sharing with your neighbour and not expecting something in return. When you look at the world beyond the allotments or outside, it's all about cash transactions, consumerism, fast-paced, fragmented lifestyles, people rushing around, everybody's so busy. But on an allotment, people stop, they chat, they interact with each other, they share their produce, even the same produce. 
You might be growing tomatoes. I might be growing tomatoes. But they'll share the tomatoes. And it is about this reciprocity, giving, taking, but not really expecting something in return in terms of a commodity or consumer sense. Hi, are you the girl from RTE, are you? I am, yes, and this is Patricia Kettle. We're talking allotments here. What's your name, sir? Yonut. Uh, and where are you from, Yonut? R- Romania. What's that you have in your hand? Can uh, you explain it? Some brown bread, some water and a little bit of rice. It's not for me, no. No, Jesus, no, definitely <laughs> not. <laughs> Who's it for? Um, I have uh, 22 chickens there. There's 10 chicks from this year and another 10 from last year. That's very unusual to have chickens on allotments. It's not the norm in Ireland. Have you had an allotment before? Uh, no, I didn't have it until I joined this, this park. So your plot of this allotment is very important to you? Oh, it is. It is. I try to communicate with everybody. I try to be involved in, in everything that's happening here. I love this place. I love it. The allotment here, does that connect you back to Romania? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. It reminds me loads of things about my grandparents. I was walking with them from 10, 11 years of age. I was minding horses, fed them, doing lots of work on the, on the fields, especially in the summer, but uh, also in the winter. The winter is very nice down there, and you, you, walk, you still keep walking on the fields if you have to. And uh, this place is, is reminding me loads of things. You wanted to come in there, Patricia? Yeah, certainly, uh, Brenda. What Yoni was saying there about his connection to the land... And what Yanni is doing, what I found in my research, is that people are connecting to practices that would have been associated with their past, these memories and the sense of belonging that they would have had in the past. And certainly for migrants or, you know, people, new people in communities, they are doing the very same practices here to create that sense of belonging in new urban environments. When I come through to this place, okay, through the gates of this allotment park, I feel free. I feel like in in nature. I love to stay in the nature. You do a walk and then at the end of the summer you're picking your crop and you, you're thinking, Jesus, we, we did the best this year. Um, I know some, some years are bad, some years are good, but keep going and you still feel happy. So you live in Rathout? Yes, I do. And do you feel you belong to Rathout? If I said to you, where are you from, what would you say? No, I feel okay to live in Rathout. It's a nice place, nice area. It's a beautiful village, uh, nice people. But I'm saying I'm from Ratold, right? But you know yourself, loads of people saying, oh, you're not you're, you're not Paddy, you know what I mean? <laughs> but it's okay, it's fine. Okay. Well, look, thank, thank you. you. There are two young girls very busy here. What's your name? Jenny Deering. Evelyn Deering. The Deering sisters. You love the allotment, do you? Yeah. They ha- it has a playground and there's lots of children out here and you learn how to grow vegetables and fruits. Is there anything you could tell me? Um, well, you should wear your wellies first, <laughs> first of all. And what do you like about the allotments? I like the playground and I like going strawberries and raspberries. Are you not afraid to hold the chickens? Well, they're not our chickens, they're Christian's chickens, but they're very friendly. So. And did you make loads of friends here? Yeah. Over the Halloween break, um, we all got together and had a, a bonfire and a barbecue. It was very fun and there was, uh, it was really a uh, taste of community. <laughs> the Deering sisters, thank you for talking to me. Thanks. <laughs> I started this journey by asking, are commuter towns good places for families to live? Well, now, I've heard about good neighbours. I've met extended families. I've seen community in action. It all seems great. But there must be a catch. So what is it? What actually is the price of suburban bliss? More than 2,000 drivers get into their cars every morning and leave Rathau to go to work. There's only a few buses. There's no train. So really, they're all dependent on their cars. Finian Buckley is an organisational psychologist and he studied how traffic jams, school drop-offs and how clocking in can make commuting really stressful. At his office in DCU, he explained some of the long-term impacts to me. So the research that we did in Dublin, for example, looking at car commuters, we found uh, that they had among the highest levels of stress when they arrived at work and most negative moods. Effectively, what they were was they were feeling stressed and intolerant when they arrived there. Um, 
but it has a whole load of not just psychological impact, it has negative uh, physiological impacts as well. So research from other jurisdictions, not so much done in Ireland, but certainly in Germany and the UK, the US, Canada, has, we have studies that talk to us about um, stressful commutes lead to an increase in blood sugar that's tied to diabetes. They lead to higher levels of cholesterol. We know the problems that that causes. Blood pressure is increased. Um, exhaustion, uh, which leads to, in turn, oddly enough, it leads to a disruption in sleep patterns. Um, and obviously then sitting a long time in a car has, was going to, is going to contribute to lower back problems. So you have this terrible cocktail of the psychological, uh, neg negative psychological impact and then the negative physiological impact as well. Yeah, no, Alex is fine. Baby Alex and his mum Bernie and dad Dermot are brand new to this type of commuting. Um, come here, are you pass if you're passing by a shop, will you stop in for a pepper? We'll do some spag balls. Dinner's on Dermot, spag balls, smells lovely. Yeah, bit of spag ball, bit of an alternative bit of dressing, a few carrots to go into it and of course I forgot the peppers at the shop and I forgot the chilies at the shop and forgot the onions at the shop and forgot everything. But it's still, yeah, the taste of it will still be nice. Bernie just called there. Where is she? How long will she be home? She, when she called there, she was just on the, coming off, coming off the Long Mile Road to head up the Nace Road for the M50. So she's, at the moment, buried in the madness of all the rush hour commuters, craters, going everywhere, to and from everywhere, trying to get home as fast and as safe as possible. When she comes in the door, she'll be delighted to see Alex and everything. But you're exhausted after commuting like that, aren't you? It takes it out of you. Oh, God, yeah, definitely. And, like, she would have a... Her job would involve her to be tuned on quite a lot mm. down in Crumlin. Um, so, like, she'll come in, she'll be exhausted, she'll play with him for a while, have a bit of fun, put him to bed, come down, and literally the two of us will throw the bones on the couch and not move for the rest of the night. We'll have rock, paper, scissors, who makes the tea, rock, paper, scissors, who gets... The biscuit cake, who's going to get up and get the remote control, like, God forbid someone comes to the door. <laughs> no, mister. Come here to me. You ready for your din-din? One hour and 15 minutes after Bernie leaves her office, she's finally reunited with Dad and baby Alex. Hi, sweetheart. Hi. Hey, there's a big smile for Mama. <laughs> Normally his daddy has to do all of the feeding and I walk in the door just in time to put him to bed. So it's a, it's a treat for me. Isn't that right, Liv? Good boy. I remember one of the first days I came back and he was he just had a really busy day or he was going through a growth spurt or something and he fell asleep on top of Darius on the couch while waiting for me to come home. And I just came in and sat down and just bawled my eyes out because I just thought, oh gosh, what am I doing? You know, but I suppose you just get used to it. And, you know, I love work, so I can't really give it up. I don't want to give it up. Mm. So it's just trying to find the balancing act that works for the three of us. And I think we're getting there. Mm. We're finding it. <laughs> You're both on the road commuting. I don't really mind the commuting. I don't mind sitting in traffic. I don't mind driving. Do you know, like I'm... I'm used to being in the car because I'm a sales rep. I'm used to being in the car anyway. And like, while I would much prefer to be driving and being more alert, like, I mean, being stuck in traffic, I, it doesn't bother me as long as I've got the radio on or as long as I've got something to do with it. <laughs> yeah, I think the country girl comes out of me. I kind of, I haven't resigned myself to commuting. Like, Darius goes on to the M15, kind of sits there and goes with the traffic and just kind of accepts it. <laughs> <laughs> whereas I'm kind of on City FM looking for every which way around it and like ringing you saying what's the traffic like ahead of me and like I'm trying to get around it basically um, I don't mind driving I can drive for hours but it's just that stuck and not moving that really gets to me I really don't like it Bernie and Dermot they're new to the commute now they have flexible working hours and a wonderful childminder but other families have made different choices down in the community centre, Natasha's Zumba classes are very popular with the stay-at-home mums in Rathold. Oh, well done, everybody. You're absolutely brilliant. I'll see you all next week. Deirdre, Anna and Marion, tell me why they decided to stay at home. Well, I was working in town and also there was the commute. Logistics didn't really um, suit. So um, 
the fact that I would have to get a, a bus into town, I would be gone at seven o'clock in the morning and I wouldn't be home to, to her till half seven at night. And yes, we had to pull back and um, tighten the purse strings, but it was well worth it for, for me to be there for her the minute she came in from school. And also, Brenda, my mother didn't work when we were younger, so it was nice to to keep that going, I suppose, in a way. And I was lucky we could afford to that I could stay at home. It was tough, but we did it and it was well worth it. When I had my uh, first child, I went back to work um, when she was about four or five months and uh, my mother was actually minding her. Um, and I found that really tough because I felt guilty all the time and I felt I was taking my mother away from her things that she liked to do. And then I felt I wasn't with my child. Then I was, you know, commuting to work and all the rest. So I just wasn't happy, you know. And then you were always playing catch up in the evening and the weekends and all that kind of thing. So when the opportunity arose for me to give up work, I just embraced it, you know. So I, I've loved being there with them and I still do. It is tough, but you're there. I definitely wasn't as tired as I used to be when I was trying to hold down a job, come home and then look after the children it was hard and at times I felt it wasn't fair to them you know they weren't getting the best of me it also helped my relationship that I had more energy for my husband <laughs> <laughs> don't put that on me <laughs> no but you know yeah sorry sorry but that's okay you had more I... energy for your husband yeah. <laughs> Um, no, um, you know, you have more time for everybody. Like, you know, you're, you are the homemaker, really, aren't you? And it's nice to be there. Like when the kids come in from school, the house is warm. You might have their dinner ready. It is very important, especially when you're wearing children, because, you know, having children can put a strain on a relationship anyway. So um, it's great. For me, I think the children have got maybe a better quality of life being out in Ratoth. I think my kids, they had the... Fr- the freedom and exactly like I had growing up in Rohini when it was a small little place. I know that my children are really proud to be, you know, to live here in Ratoth and uh, they're involved in the Scouts. Then my son is in the GAA and my daughter has been part of the stage schools as well. So I think, you know, they've had a lot, they have a lot of memories, a lot of Halloween, having the freedom to go around the houses like we did, um, you know, being able to walk to the shops on their own and things like that. Um, they do. They have a lot of freedom out here that maybe in a more built up area um, they wouldn't have. They've got really happy memories. I hope they do. I, I think they do. Definitely having that big green in front of my house was a huge plus because they could all socialise together. And, you know, even as they grew into young adults, um, they would kind of sit out there, hang out and play music even, you know, in the evening time, which was lovely. Um, we were all snow snowbound in one Christmas. Do, do you remember when the snow was so bad you couldn't get out to the shop? Nobody could go to work. The lads were all kind of, nobody could do anything. So we built a big igloo together <laughs> and we ended up having a few drinks and the kids played music. And it was just, it's been always been a great, you know, community. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and my children will have all those memories, you know. Most young families who move to Rathholt have young children and it is these young children that are the glue that hold the place together and really they're the reason that the parents choose to live here. Finian Buckley is an organisation of psychologist. From his research, he discovered that while people will give up their jobs to avoid commuting stress, most of them won't give up their homes. So really commuting is the price that people will pay to live in a place that they can call home. So we have... A clear majority that says, okay, there's a price to pay for the home that we have, but clearly there's something absolutely at a deep identity and values level that's important about the place that they live. This is where they have decided that they're establishing their family. It's the right place for their kids and family to grow up and to mature. It's now their social network. They're embedded in the social network of the place. Their important relationships are there. And for many of these commuters, they probably moved out of you know, urban Dublin, left their family behind them to this new location. Um, and really what they're doing is they're, the, the network and the community there is creating a replacement family in a sense. So there's strong bonds and ties to that. And there's there's what we call reciprocal um, 
community relationships building up there where there's an interdependency of all these uh, recently located individuals there. And of course, as their kids bond and go to the same clubs and societies and all the rest of it, then the network gets stronger and stronger and the friendships go deeper and deeper. So that's why when asked, would you change your home or would you change your job, the vast majority say, I'll change my job, thank you. The home, the, the community bond that, is, that has been established is just such a strong pull. It's a major motivator. The work of the week is done. The commuting is over. It's Saturday night and the Rathothians have gathered to watch 17 couples in a ballroom dance and fundraiser showdown for their local GA club. Ladies and gentlemen, good evening to Rathoth GAA Do Strictly, our dancers. And you won't believe who I met. Local hero and champion jockey, Barry Geraghty. Going back 25 years ago when I was a kid, Rathoth was three pubs, a couple of shops and a church. There, was not, there wasn't much in it. There was very few housing estates, but it's grown and grown. and It's a lovely town and you know it's, it's a good country feel to it still. When you were growing up, what was the social life like? Hunting would have been our thing as kids on ponies. And you'd hunt in a tote and you know, the, the, the town would be full with horse boxes. You'd wash the pony afterwards in the river. Um, just good fun and a, a good village. You've seen the thousands of houses that have gone up around the area. What were your initial thoughts about that? It's just grown and grown, unknown to yourselves really. And, you know, it's a state after a state has added on. But it's, it's still a nice, cosy town. It's, it's not overran. If you look at everybody who's moved in here to Rathholt, there's this very strong sense of community. Why is that? What makes that happen? Well, I suppose, you know, there's a very strong um, GA club. There's a, good, there's a good community sense around the place. Um, you know, I'd say there's pioneers in different aspects that are working to bring things together. And it's a family town and... It's grown from there, really. So if I move in here, how long will it take for I'm not a blow-in, do you think? Oh, there's, there's plenty of blue jerseys here all summer. There's probably more <laughs> blue jerseys than green ones. But we don't have much reason to wear the green ones as much of late. But, you know, you have a lot of Dublin people in with Holt, but that's that's fine. It's, there's, there's a good buzz and people get on well. There's, there's no animosity or there's no, you know, there's no judging. Speaking of judging... I better let you back in because you are one of the senior judges here at the Strictly Two Come Dancing in Rathold. Thanks, Madam. Barry. Thank you. Mary's dancing the walls and her dance partner is Michael and his wife Joanne is there for moral support. Michael explains to me what he's wearing. Uh, well, it's, um, I suppose, classic look, I think, with uh, tucks with tails and, um, you know, just a white cravat, white waistcoat and, you know, we're, we're all looking well. The three gents were scrubbing up well to match the ladies. It's out of my comfort zone, but, um, you know, it's, you know, fundraiser for the club and, you know, try and keep the place going and provide good facilities for the young kids coming up. And that's the main thing, really. Brenda, he's so like GA mad, for example, that uh, the day after Miho was born, I was still in, in the Rotonda Hospital um, resting. And uh, Meg went off and played a, a match for Rotothorlin. So um shows how much he, he genuinely is passionate about club and, uh, and the GEA, it, it means a lot to him. This is a bit unfair me talking to you now because you're going to take to the stage shortly and um, I'm sure you're a little bit nervous. What are your thoughts, Mary? I think we've been grand in rehearsals, but I think maybe when everybody's out there, it'll be a bit different, but I'm looking forward to it. Who's leading who in the walls? Well, it's meant to be Mick, so fingers crossed it stays that way. <laughs> Dancing the walls and we're told does Strictly 2015, please welcome to the stage Mary Halpin and Mick Cooper. Paddy's wearing flamboyant trousers. He's going to be jiving shortly, but right now he's in philosophical mood because, you see, the Rathoth Intermediate team, they've just won the Leinster title. I came from Dublin, Fingless. I played my club football with Aaron Zyle. I County Hermel Dublin, and my kids all play Rathoth. And I love the place. And I'm so, so proud today. Today, to me, is just... Her kids won a Lancer today, right? And I'm so... I'm just so happy. I've seen them from 10 years all the way up. And we're all of us, all the outfits who they don't even recognise, right? <laughs> we've cried. We've, we've, we've picked teams. We've... You know, we've had all that. And today, we just... They delivered. And... and, and I'm so we're told today, just to put people in the picture, won the first Leinster, ever Leinster, Leinster Intermediate, intermediate, intermediate title. And I'm going Congratulations. senior now. 
honest kids who, you know, myself and, you know, this isn't my way. So proud. I'm so proud. You strike me, though, as somebody who'd love Fingless and Aaron's Eye. No, 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 no. That, that, no that, that was my club. That was me. That was my moments. That was my time. And, you know, my kids don't play for Aaron's Isle. My kids, you know, like, this is their time. Yeah. And, and this is my club now. This is my club. Well, is it your county, though? What jersey would you wear? Dublin or Mead? My kids will wear the Mead jersey. Yeah. So I, kids will wear the Mead one. Well, well, they live here. Yeah. When you speak about the club and when you speak about the kids and the achievements, I can see you're quite emotional about it. Is it about winning? Yes. Is it about games on the field? Yes. But it's also about, what's the GA give you? You know, I came from Vingless, you know. If I didn't have Aaron's Isle, I'd probably be in jail. You know, what's, what's Rato give? It gives you one club, you play for one club, you, you live, you die with that club. You know, and when the good times are good, when the bad times are, it doesn't matter. And that's what we have now. This club has that now, I feel it now. Emma's going to be dancing a little bit later on. She's with her husband, Ray. They're both from Dublin, but they've made Rato their home. When did you feel that, as a family, you belonged here? Yeah, it's actually a very strange question because I, re- I remember years ago um, working in an aircom, I, I was asked the question, where do you live? And, and, and I said, I'm, I'm from Ratote. And there was a girl there that says, you're not from Ratote, you live in Ratote. And to be honest, I now feel I'm part of the Ratote community, the Ratote village, um, as Emma mentioned, where involved in the local community, the GAA, the Taekwondo, I'm involved in the local Panto. Um, we do our best to, to help out within the, the Residents Association and whatnot. So I, I'd say about six, seven years ago, we're here about 15, 13 years, 13 or 14 years, yeah. So it takes a long time to be uh, indoctrinated into the Ratota uh, village, I suppose. You've two children now, yes? Yeah. Yes. So life in Ratota for your children, how's that working out? Well, put it like this, I think even if we won the lotto, we wouldn't move out of the house we're in. Uh, we might, you know, get an attic conversion or something, <laughs> but um, the kids love where we are. They have their friends. We're very close to the school. We're not far from the village. And there's, you know, there's fields in the estate where they can play football or go out on their bikes. It's safe. And they have a good bit of freedom because of that. I started my journey around Rathout wondering if commuter towns like this were good places to bring up a family. I will leave the last word to Emma. We have neighbours across the road and there was one day that we were doing the dishes and our son was then about three and she, there was a knock at the door and she had him. He climbed out the front window and got to call for his friend. We didn't know, he was only three. And she returned him. Um, and there was another day our daughter climbed out of the window naked. So there's always somebody who'll find your child and return them uh, or feed your child. Do you know those little catches you can get for the window? We've done that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> These are not good stories to be putting on radio. Yeah. So when all is said and done, it might make sense to house our grown population in high-rise city centre apartments. But Irish families seem to have an emotional connection to suburban living. That's all for this edition of Like Family. Thank you for listening. For more information, check out rte.ie forward slash radio one forward slash like family.